0: well good morning my name is pastor kevin thank you so much for joining us for this online service i love the fact that even though we can't gather physically together today we can still worship jesus together online so thank you so much for joining us and staying connected with us if you are a guest and maybe today's your first time catching one of our services or maybe you've been catching these for the last couple of weeks, man, we are honored that you would watch with us. The one thing I would ask is I would love to get to know you. I'd love to hear a little bit of your story as well as be able to share a little bit of the story of Restoration Church. So if you would do me a favor and just in the comments below, would you just type in connect? And I'd love to be able to follow up with you personally and be able to figure out how I can connect with you and hear some of your story and share a little bit more about Restoration Church. In this season of quarantine, I find myself in the situation that so many of you are in. I'm just completely core and tired. And I find myself asking and wrestling with this idea, what is church? Obviously, we have these restrictions in place right now that prevent us from doing church as we have grown accustomed to. And as this time has continued, and we are in weeks 10, 11, it just continues going on, there's a part of me, and I know that there are some of you, that begin to feel like, well, they can't stop us from doing church. And as I think about that idea bubbling up in my heart, I begin to think about a statement that we we hear in the church often, that the church is not a building. The church is the people. I mean, that's a statement that most of us say we believe. That's a statement I have said from the pulpit numerous times. But now as times have changed, that's a question that I want to ask us. Do we really believe? that statement, that the church is not a building, the church is the people. This morning, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to the book of Acts chapter 2 and John chapter 13. Uh, that's where we're going to be at today. We've been in this series for the last couple of weeks that we're calling Essential. And as we're looking at the scope of the church and what we are grieving about not having in church in this season, we want to have this conversation to say, what is essential for the church? What are the things we need to prioritize? What are the things we need to fight for? We need to hold on to versus what are the things that are good and helpful and not wrong, but maybe some things that distract us from what is most important and take our energy away from what is essential. So I've asked during this season, I've asked you to pray with me and ask God, God, would you help us to prioritize the things that are most important? God, would you help us to understand the foundations of the church as God, you established them to be. And asking God, God, would you help us to love the church as you planted it? So this morning, we're going to be looking at this key verse that we've studied the last couple weeks, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that Gail read for us. And it says, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. And it says, an awe came upon every soul. And so what we've said so far is that what is essential for the church is that there's this study of the Word of God, there is this, uh, there's this commitment to the prayers, there's this commitment to, to worship. And not just that these were things that the early church did, that these were things that the church devoted themselves to, which means they prioritized them. They placed such an importance on them that it dictated and shaped how they lived their life. And so when they're looking at their schedules, they allow these things to inform how they schedule their time. They allow these things to inform how they build out their priorities. They allow these things to shape how they spend their resources. It was that important to them. And today, we're going to see how the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship. And this is where the rubber hits the road as far as what the church is. We're going to see the church is more than a building. It's more than a Sunday gathering. The church is a group of people who are devoted to one another. And the question becomes, well, why were this people, why was the church, why were they devoted to one another? Why were they devoted to this fellowship? Why would a group of people like you and I and the others watching this video, why would we devote ourselves to each other? The answer comes from that verse 42. The word for fellowship is a Greek word, uh, koinonia, which means to have in common. And that really makes sense. We like to gather with people that we have something in common, common interests, common hobbies, common passions. But this idea of fellowship goes much deeper than just having interests in common. It goes so much deeper than that. What are the things that they had in common that brought them together? Three things. Uh, The first thing, the foundational thing that brought these people together was they had a common faith. They had a a common faith. In fact, when you look at the church, the church consists of people from all walks of life. I mean, when you look at Restoration Church, we have people from every different economic background, some that are wealthy, some that are struggling financially. We have people from every ethnic background. We We have people who are highly educated. We have some who are completely uneducated. We have people who grew up and had an easy life. We have people who have had a hard life. We have people who are young. We have people who are old. But the thing is, every one of us, every one of us, we came to faith in Jesus in the same way. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, You are saved by grace alone, not of yourself, lest anyone else would boast. And so if we are a Christian, if we claim to have Jesus in our life, we all came to Jesus in the same way. We came to him with with open hands, that despite how the world would view us, we come to Jesus acknowledging, I'm not good enough. I can't save myself. And every one of us, we have turned to Jesus and we are dependent on his work on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to pay the penalty of our sin, to redeem us, to make us a new creation. We have this common faith, And it levels the playing field. Well, there's not rich and poor in the eyes of God. There's not there's not brown and white in the eyes of God. There's not young and old in the eyes of God. There are those who will place their faith in Him and those who haven't, and it levels the playing field. So we have this common faith, but we also have a common family. In John chapter one, verses eleven through thirteen, it says that Jesus came to His own, but His own received Him not. And then he says, as many who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not born of a natural descent nor of human decision, but they were born of God. And so when we become a Christian, God becomes our father and we are adopted into his family, that we belong to the family of God. Now, I recognize some of us, we've got some strong families and really thankful for that. For some of us, now, we don't have those strong families. But what we need to know is that the family within the community of God, it transcends our early, our earthly families. It is greater than our earthly families. In fact, Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and says, Whoever does the will of God, these are my mother, these are my brothers. What he's saying is ultimately the only forever family that we will ever experience is our family of faith as we place ourselves into the family of God. I mean, let's just be honest here. How many of us actually think about the church as being our family? Because honestly, if we did, it would change how we interact with the community of God, with the family of God. It would change how we spend time with them. In fact, there's this poem I read that I found this week was was extremely challenging. This poem is called Good Morning. And here's what it says. It says, she stands at the door in her porridge-colored suit, handing out bulletins like bus tickets. Walking in, I take one. Perhaps she smiled when she opened the door for me, but I can't be sure. I go down that familiar aisle, and I sit looking at the back of strangers. Sure, I may know their name, but I don't know their life. We're all on the same bus, traveling the same road. Yet the lady's lady's handbag sitting in the pew in front of me is packed with 60 years of love and joy and pain, which I will never know. Instead, we stand and say, good morning, see you next week. See, that's not family. Now, the family has to be all lovey-dovey, but when you are with family, there's this commitment to the family. There's this this depth of relationship that happens within family. We're in the family. You don't doubt somebody's concern for you. There's There's a devotion that we find when we are acknowledging that we are part of the family of God. And so these people, they are devoting themselves together because they have a common faith, because they have a common family, and thirdly, because they have a common feeling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talking about the church. He said, let there be no division amongst the body of Christ, but members should have the same care for one another, that when one suffer, all suffer. When one is honored, all rejoice. Let me give you an example of this. For me, I love football. And maybe for you, maybe you love baseball or basketball or the Scripps National Spelling Bee, whatever works for you. But when we're watching a game and we see Russell Wilson throw a touchdown to Tyler Lockett, like you can be with people you've never met and you are high-fiving and you're celebrating together and there's this shared community that happens. And when something bad happens, like Chris Carson, maybe he fumbles the football again. Together, there's this this feeling of, of deflation and everybody is down together. Because when you're watching that sports team, there's this common feeling, there's this common goal, this shared conviction, and you're moved to respond as a group just like you would as an individual. Listen, if that happens with sports, how much more should that happen within the family of God? We should have such a a greater sense of a common feeling, of a unity amongst the people of God, amongst the family of God. This is where we're to walk with one another through struggles, that we comfort one another, we, we grieve one another, we we confront one another, we support one another, we, we help one another, we live life with one another. I mean, on a practical level, in the New Testament, there are nearly 60 commands called the one another commands. Commands like love one another, accept one another, instruct one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another. And it's this common care and concern for the people of God. That should be the the, the motivation, the reason for how we can actually live these things out, to live out the one another's in scripture. In fact, I'll take this a little bit further. In John chapter 13, again, the the other verse that Gail read for us this morning, Jesus is speaking and he says, there's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, so you are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, there's this devotion in the church, a devotion not to a building, but a devotion to the people of God because of a common faith, because of the common family, because of this common feeling. And the result is when we love one another, there's this powerful result to the world around us. In fact, there's this amazing story I read this week. Uh, Hadrian, who was a Roman Caesar in the first century, he hears about this fast-growing cult called the Way, which is also known as Christianity. He hears about this cult just growing like crazy, and he tasks an assistant, I want you to get to the bottom of this cult and figure out what they're about. And this was his assistant's report. He said, they love one another. When one has something, he gives to him who has nothing without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take him in to their own homes, rejoicing over him as if he was a brother. If any among them are poor and needy, even if they have no food to spare, they fast for two or three days in order to supply the lack of food for the one who has need. This, O king, is their manner of life this is a new people and there is something divine in the midst of them i love that this guy says there's something divine in the midst of them here we have the the greatest empire in the known world this is this is an empire that ruled from india all the way to england for 2500 years and they set all of their might and attention to destroy christianity Yet they can look and recognize that there was something divine in the midst of them because of how they devoted themselves to one another, because of how they loved one another. Here's the reality. Listen, if we claim to be a Christian, God has called us to be be devoted to this group of people in this place, in this season, to love the people of God for his purposes. That it's through this devotion to the church, through this devotion to the people of God, that God accomplishes his purposes in our own lives. That God uses other people to strengthen our faith, to comfort us, to confront us. I mean, I just think about this on a very practical level. When I think back in the course of my life, in the areas I've had the greatest amount of growth and strength and, and, and those sorts of things, it has come through the mentors that I have found in church. It has come through the people that I have done small group with. People who have courage, encouraged me when I was down. People who confronted me when I was wrong. In fact, when I think about myself as a husband, man, I have grown as a husband because of the way that people have mentored me and walked alongside me and taught me what it looks like to love my wife well. Same thing has happened as I've raised my kids and as I've grown in leadership, as I try and grow in godliness and in character. It's the people of God who encourage me, who confront me, who walk alongside me that have shaped me to become who I have become today. In fact, there's this funny thing about character. Literally, you can acquire everything in life in solitude except for character. Just think about that. Think about that. So not only when we devote ourselves to the people of God, not only does God accomplish his purposes in our lives, he also accomplishes his purposes in other people's lives. This is where God uses our faith. He uses our experiences. He uses our, our words, our life to strengthen other people, to encourage them, to comfort them, to share wisdom with them. In fact, I think just about our own little church. Just this past week, there were several people dealing with health issues, with relational issues, with some anxiety stuff going on. And there are such practical ways for us as a church when we have this mutual concern for one another just to do simple things that give them encouragement, to send a text message, to make a phone call, to offer up prayers that God uses to build up other people within the body of Christ. And not only does God use these things in our life and the life of others, but when we devote ourselves to the people of God, God uses that to accomplish his mission. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, the end of this text, because the people were devoted to the word of God, devoted to prayer, devoted to worship, devoted to the people of God because of how they loved one another, verse 47 says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That God does exactly what Jesus said he would do that the people would know that something was divine among them, that the people gave their lives to God because of how the church loved one another. It is so powerful for us. The question I have for you this morning, will you devote yourself to this people, to this place, to this group, and this season for God to accomplish his purposes? Listen, I recognize there are some of you listening today and church is hard you've been through church, there's been some pain, there's been some hurt, there's been some suffering. Anytime you throw a bunch of different people together with different backgrounds, different experiences, and different thoughts and ideas, there's bound to be friction. And let's just be honest, when you look at the church and you take a bunch of sinful people, where sin may no longer reign supreme in their lives, but sin is still there. It's bound to be messy. We're people who who, the good that we want to do, we don't do. And the bad that we don't want to do, we do. And so there's bound to be times that there's difficulty and there's mess. People sometimes, even as Christians, sometimes we're still selfish and we're still proud. And sometimes we hurt other people's feelings. In fact, if you want to avoid any friction within a family, if you want to avoid any messiness within the church, you know the only way you're going to experience that is in death. The only time that we experience friction-free community is when we die. So in the meantime, until we get to that point, I've got two thoughts to encourage you to bear with the church, to bear with sometimes the the difficult and the mess that comes with the church. First, First thing, number one, we have to remember that church is not about you. In fact, one of my favorite Bible chapters in the entire Bible comes from Philippians chapter two, where Paul writes and it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourself, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says, have the same mind that was that of Christ Jesus, who even though he was equal with God, He did not consider equality a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. See, do you realize how much less conflict we would experience in church if we all embraced this idea that church is not about me? That God has placed us in church not to be a taker, but to be a giver? Imagine what God could do in the church if all of us had this idea that through our humility, the sacrifice of our own preferences that we would be willing to allow god to use us to serve others so that they would know jesus so their life would be changed by the gospel by having this mentality to consider others more significant than ourselves second way i think that we embrace the messiness of church is when we remember the promise that jesus gave us jesus said if we love one another if we are devoted to one another, despite our warts, despite our hang-ups, that if we learn to extend grace to one another, if we learn to apologize when we were wrong, if we learn to consider others more significant than ourselves, the promise that God has for us was that people would know that we are his disciples, that they would see something divine among us that if we would learn to love the people of God despite our warts and all, that would be a powerful example to the world. And the Lord would add to our number day by day those that he was being saved. In fact, here we are in this quarantine. And I know as we have this conversation about devotion to the fellowship, some of you are getting excited. You're thinking he's going to speak about the authorities that are preventing us from meeting together. And he's going to call that out. Actually, what I want to do is I want to look at Acts chapter 2 to see what their fellowship looked like. It says in verse 42, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. If that is what essential church is, can we do that on Sunday morning with 150 of our closest friends? Absolutely. Can we do that Can we do those essential things at home with one or two other families? Absolutely. In fact, when you look further down in this text, verse 44 says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple, and breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, I'll be honest. I I love our Sunday morning gatherings, and I cannot wait till we can return. But as I start thinking about the church as being a family, I think about my own family. My family, we probably have the best moments together around a dinner table where we can eat together. We can laugh together. We can pray together. We can go through a, a devotion together. We can talk about what's going on. And when we're done with dinner, we might move to the living room. We might move to the couch and just continue to dream and plan and talk and have these conversations. Listen, while I long to return to our Sunday morning gatherings in the church, this season that we are in, can we embrace an Acts chapter 2 model? Can we enjoy the fellowship and the devotion to the people, to the church, over a meal from the comfort of our own homes? Let me be clear. This is what I'm asking. This is what I'm asking of you watching this video today. When our state eases our restrictions and allows us to meet with people outside of our own family, I'm asking you to commit to gather with, with one other family at least once a week, to gather with them, to have a meal together, to pray together, to laugh together, to encourage together, to be together, to, to fellowship together and have this Devotion to the church over a meal. Listen, you can do this from the comfort of your own home. If you're more comfortable in a park, you can go and do a park and do a picnic with another family. Absolutely be wise. If you're one of those at risk people, be wise about that. Maybe you want to wait. But in this season that we are in, can we devote ourselves to the people of God in our homes? That as the summer evolves, We'll have some opportunity to maybe have some new people come to your home to get to know some new people, maybe to do some larger group things. But in this season of quarantine, can we embrace what is essential about the church? Can we believe what the scripture says about the church? The church is not the building. The church is the people of God. Can we devote ourselves to this group of people in this place and this season For his purposes. Restoration Church, we're in this unique season, and I feel as core and tired as every one of you do, but I want us to prioritize what is essential. I want us to devote ourselves to one another, to love one another, and I'm asking us let's be wise, but let's embrace the Acts chapter 2 model in this season. Let us love one another and be devoted to the fellowship, to the people of God in a way that our neighbors and that our city would look and say there's something divine in the midst of them. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just this conversation and reminder of what is essential. God, I pray for those of us that are struggling, that are lonely, that are missing this large gathering. God, I pray that you would just Comfort us with your words. God, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe your words. God, I pray even in a season of struggle, to help us to understand and believe this idea that the church is not a building, the church is a people. So, God, I pray that we would be a people that are devoted to the church, devoted to one another, devoted to, to loving one another, despite our hangups, despite how sometimes we annoy one another. But that, God, we would recognize that we have this common faith that brings us together. We have this common family that we have become a part of the family of God. And we have this common concern, this common care for one another. And, Lord, I pray that it would be evident in how we relate to one another. That, God, that we would be devoted to one another and that we would reach out to one another. And that when our state eases these restrictions, that we would make it a priority. We would make it a priority to embrace this Acts chapter 2 model, that we would have people from the church in our homes, that we would break bread together, that we would fellowship together, that we would eat together and pray together and laugh together and, and grieve together and walk through life with one another. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us in this season. I pray, Lord, that as we commit ourselves and devote ourselves to the people of God, that God, you would draw other people in. The people would see that there's something divine in our midst, and they would desire to give their lives to you and become a part of the family of God. God, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you have not left us alone, that you are present with us. And I pray, God, that you would comfort us and strengthen us and grow us in this season. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you, Restoration Church. Love you guys. See you next week.